Welcome to Your Money, Your Wealth podcast episode number 250. Woo! I'm producer Andy Last, and for this landmark post-Thanksgiving episode, I'm thankful for the chance to follow up with one of our most popular guests, early retiree and author Tanya Hester, who the New York Times called the matriarch of the women's financial independence retire early movement. But first, Joe and Big Al answer your questions about the balanced asset allocation strategy, taking a pension and another job job and social security, and what to do when your company changes 401k custodians. And we're thankful for a couple of listeners that went out of their way to wind Joe up with their questions. Thank you, Mike and Ricardo, for bringing up IULs once again. Here they are now, Joe Anderson, CFP, and Big Al Clopine, CPA. Mikey from Los Angeles. He writes in, hey, Big Al, Joe, Andy. Ooh. Baja. Baja. What? Big, big Al, Big Al, Joe, Joe Andy, B A Big Al, Joe J, Baja, 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 Ooh, Baja, <laughs> oh, Baja. Right. Oh, now yeah. I get it. Now he's like he's got the bolded Big Al, Joe, and Andy. Actually, I did that to try and make it so that you would understand it <laughs> oh. the first time around. But, but he's, who writes an email started Ooh, Baja. He, he, he like, thought it was he thought booyah. it was Baja. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, just, I mean, it's like booyah. I, I've, I've seen that, but baja. I've never clearly you weren't born and raised in Southern California. Baja, Baja Mar. It took you a while. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> Pound sand from, from Minnesota. Baja, La Jolla, yeah, La Jolla. California. Have you ever been to the Cajon? <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. No. Anyway, whatever. Okay. Mike, um, he writes in. Someone was mentioning a book called Balanced. Asset Allocation by Alex Shahidi. Uh, and it's a revolutionary approach. Sounds like the summary is to have a rebalancing formula between equities, 20%, commodities, 20%, long-term treasuries, 30%, and long-term tips, treasury-inflated protected securities, another 30%. Have any of you, or Brian, hi, Brian, read this? Who the hell's Brian? Perry. Brian Perry. Oh. Because he was on the show answering Mike's <laughs> you first guys question. You just scraping at the bottom of the barrel there. Oh, uh, no. We had a great question. Uh, no, I'm talking about host of the show. Oh. <laughs> <Jeez>. <laughs> He's only a director it of was, research. Oh. Uh, with re- uh, returns expected to be a bit soft over the next few years, uh, what do you think about this type of strategy? I'm always a little skeptical when people talk about uh, someone who's been crushing it in the market, given so much of the allocation to bond-like instruments, it seems strange that this would be beating the market over the long term. Figured this could lead into some interesting, amusing discussion on my ride home. All right. There's a lot of interesting strategies that are coming out. Yes. Um, and if you look at long-term bonds and actually long-term tips, you know they've performed quite well over the last several years. Uh, just because of interest rates have gone down, um, bond prices go up. Uh, then you throw a little commodities in there, um, and then equities. I'm curious on what type. I've never heard of the balanced asset allocation book. No, I haven't either. And this doesn't really seem like a balanced asset it's allocation. Not, not balanced at all. Um, we're missing a few different asset classes there. This also sounds like um, there's uh, the permanent portfolio which is somewhat similar to this. Andy, look up the permanent portfolio and see what those allocations are because it's it's almost it, it seems like it's very very close to this. 
Uh, but I would like to know what the rebalancing strategy is because wasn't there another strategy that someone wrote in, and then th- there was triggers on when you bought and sold. So it was it was an asset picking strategy and also a timing strategy. So here's the percentages that they want in each asset classes, but it also triggered a, a rebalance, not necessarily on movement of the asset class itself, but it was a movement on a thirty or fifty day moving average yeah, or something. Yeah, I do remember that, and, and I I. I don't remember exactly, but I remember us talking about that. But here's my thoughts, I guess, off the cuff. When I look at this, long-term treasuries, the expected return of long-term treasuries is less than equities. The expected return of long-term tips is less than equities. Commodities don't necessarily even have an expected return. So I'd, I'd be hard-pressed to see how this would this portfolio would beat other equity-type portfolios over the long term. Now, in the short term, certainly. But I think the selling point on this is saying, all right, well, look at you know PE ratios of U.S. markets, and they could be a little high, or, or right the, the future expected return because valuations are a little bit higher than the norm. Yeah. Uh, when you look at you know certain measurements, yeah, is that but that's just one asset class. That's large company growth stocks in the U.S. Totally, there, totally with you. There's lots of other asset classes that are not as highly priced. Well, right, but then they're saying, okay, well, you know, we've had this bull run for several years. Does it make sense to take some chips off the table? And so this is a totally defense portfolio. Right, is that the doom and gloom? Right, if you think the world's coming to an end, then you're going into U.S. Treasuries. Right, because that's the safest asset class, and then you put in tips, which is just a, still a U.S. Treasury, but it's it's got a, a CPI little kicker on it, given inflation. I th- I'd say if you think the world's coming to an end, you you buy a whole bunch of gold. That's b- where your bunch, commodities bunch, come in. Bunch of guns, right? Bunch of bullets, cigarettes. Have enough food to get you through. What's the permanent portfolio? So the permanent portfolio was devised by free market investment analyst Harry Brown in the 1980s. The permanent portfolio is composed of equal allocation of stocks, bonds, gold, and cash or treasury bills. Stocks, bonds, gold, and cash. So that's long-term treasury, short-term uh, commodities and equities. So it's, 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 it's very, very it's similar. close. Yeah. yeah. Yep. I don't know, Mike. What the hell? Go for it. Let me know. <laughs> let, me, let me know how it goes. I I would be cautious about this one, Mike. That's my advice. I, I think it's a very good defensive portfolio. It is a defensive portfolio. It's a phenomenal defensive yeah. portfolio. Yeah. If you had this portfolio in two thousand eight, you'd crush it. Right, but then in two thousand nine and uh, and, <laughs> and on, on you, would, you would hate it. <laughs> yeah, you would have. Um... So if, if you if it goes back to market timing, if you could time the market properly, Perfectly. this would be fantastic. Right, but. Evidence and, and history has shown that that's very, very difficult to do. Yeah, but I, I mean, this is a, a, a safe portfolio. I mean, the probably expected rate of return on this is anywhere from four to five percent long term. I'm guessing. Yeah, you know? b- yeah, because it's it's. I mean, it's it's sixty percent bonds. Yeah, sixty percent. Yeah, bonds. so which which is I mean, if you look at long term historical uh, rate of return on bonds, it's about five percent. Right, and then so they're using commodities a little twenty percent there. Oh, that's your inflation hedge, hedge right? Which is BS. Yes, we know that. <laughs> which but is that's, not. But that's how it's sold. It's a, it's a volatile inflation hedge that's not really an inflation hedge. Um, and then equities. But, I mean, you look at equities over the long term; they're closer to ten percent. Yeah, bonds five so percent, equities ten percent. So if you're if you're saying this is a great long term strategy, you're 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 nuts. But if you're saying this is a defensive strategy, yes, it is. Yeah, 
So I, I guess, you know, Mike, it always boils down to your time frames. What are you trying to accomplish with the money that you have? And then, you know, what's the demand for the portfolio and, and so on. So Mike continues to write, P.S., thanks for the last response to my question on IRA rollover and mentioning the mega backdoor Roth. I think there might be a little more to discuss there. Based on what I read on the Mad Fientist blog, uh, but appreciate the responses. Oh, come on, the Mad Fientist. <laughs> I will say I felt a little cheated that Joe was out when my message was read because there was a chance something I said could have set him off. Well, that's likely. <laughs> it effectively robbed me of the chance to bring joy to my fellow listeners by setting Joe off. Oh, you're already doing it now. I'm thinking of another question where I can cross that off my oak. Cross bucket that off my bucket list. So that's bucket list is to set, set you Joe off. off. What the hell? Yeah. I mean, what, uh, what, what? Why would he set me off, Mike? His question because was because of Baja stupid ass Baja <laughs> stuff. <laughs> well, that he came up with recently. Oh, that was it. that was very clever. Mad scientist. What the b- mega door backdoor Roth IRA? That would not set me off. I think that's a very good strategy. It's a great strategy. If, if he was wanting to use like an index universal life insurance <laughs> contract <laughs> in some fashion, that would do it. So, all right. Well, okay. keep writing in, Mike. Try to see if he can set me off. All right. We got Ricardo. He wrote in from Houston, Texas. Okay. H Town. That's what Houston is. H Town. Uh, Joe, Al, and Andy. Thank you so much. <laughs> for I like the way you read with emphasis. Very good. Well, there was a lot of O's I know, in this. So much. Yeah, you're right. Uh, for your great podcasts and videos, you guys bring financial and tax planning to a whole new level. All right. Thank you. Awesome. Joe, please never, ever, 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 dot, ever, dot, ever, dot, ever, 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 ever. Tone it down. That's second comment today. They like, Almost, they like to set you off. Well, like, I don't think I'm fired up all the time. Am oh, I fired you should up? listen to yourself, Joe. I've never listened or seen myself <laughs> ever. And I don't think you talk fast and you get really cranky. Uh, <laughs> I don't think it's cranky. It's just passion. It's, it's passion, yeah. They don't want you to unpassion it. Okay. They well, want you to hey, Ricardo, t- you got it, brother. Keep it toned up. Let's do this. We're going to make it happen forever and ever and ever and ever. Dot, dot, dot. Dot, dot, As... These insurance series have become a personal favorite. Oh, boy. Here we go. And as you Another throw out question. great information, I want to keep stirring the pot on the insurance topic a bit more. But I will start by saying I do agree with you guys, especially Joe, about the IUL that is Index Universal Life, as these are pretty bad, mainly because of the terms. I would like to speak on a more strategic sense rather than the specifics of portfolios, 401k, etc. I know where this is going. You I, haven't even read the question I yet. I know, but I know where Ricardo is going. Because I know this. you don't read the questions in advance. Ricardo's got one. He's got to have got one. one. And, and this he, is and, his chance and, to redeem himself for and, buying the product. And he probably wants more, I'm yes. guessing. Or he sells these products. Right. It's all right, Ricardo. I'll never, ever, <laughs> ever slow this thing down. We'll, <laughs> we'll tone it up right now. Tone it up. All right. A little bit about myself. 47-year-old male, married with two kids, 18 and 7. I currently have a taxable account, Roth, two IRAs, one for making Roth conversions, and the other is where I roll over my previous 401k, which, as I understand, I cannot convert. Okay, where the hell am I? (laughs) (laughs) 
threw, they threw you're you off. You're in the right place. It's on okay. another, another page. But what you, I understand, I cannot convert. Why can't he convert? He can convert. That's false. Oh, so the, okay. So this, all right. Al's already jumping the gun on answering some questions. Well, you you got confused. So I'm right, answering your like, question. I thought it was an inherited. The only thing that you can't convert is an inherited IRA. That's correct. So your previous 401k, you can convert a if, 401- if you want to or partial. So he's also got a 401k and a couple of rentals. Uh, the amounts are irrelevant, to state my point. <laughs> but does I would like mean, to. Does s- that mean they're small? <laughs> yeah, they're, yeah, they're outside of Odessa. <laughs> Odessa, Odessa, Texas. Got it. Okay. Um, I think there's a prison there. Small town. And why are you looking at me for that? Well, I, I have know. no idea. Because you can Google it. We're talking. <laughs> yeah, it's a very nice place. Um, <laughs> irrelevant to state my point, but I would <clears throat> say. That I only have dividend-paying stocks on all the accounts except the 401k. All right. Okay. The way I'm planning to use these is as supplemental income to the Social Security in the future by stopping the drips from them as uh, needed in getting these checks instead of relying on selling assets, uh, typically portfolio. But I understand I have to sell some equities in the IRA rollover once I mean RMDs as a requirement. To supplement the gap from Social Security, in this way, I believe I won't be dependent or subject to market conditions. As a bonus, at least for the taxable and Roth accounts, these could work as some sort of endowment to pass to the kids. Are we? Are 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 you following this so far? Not really. Me neither. <laughs> we'll get there though. I'm sure. All right. Okay, Joe. I agree with you on the UIL. Universal Index Life Insurance. But my point on the insurance topic is as follows. I currently have a whole life, I told you, currently have a whole life insurance (laughs) with uh, a mutual company that I think everyone has this point wrong as they keep measuring them to investment accounts, and this could be further from the truth. In reality, these should be compared against savings accounts, money markets, or CDs, which um, if we are lucky, we'll give us a mere 2%, and with our friend inflation, is a no-go. Basically, I have a specially designed policy to act as a cash value life insurance with a current split of 14% base premium and 86% PUAs, and I established a mech of $50,000. <laughs> Oh, boy. A lot of letters. What's PUA? All righty. I have read the 200-plus pages of the contract, and the base premium is, Jesus, is my only cost. Okay. So it is also designed so the break-even point is at six years, and I can stop paying into it um, at year 10. After that, it's paying for itself um, as my PUAs are buying additional term insurance within the policy to deal with the MEX. So in short, instead of sending my cash into bank accounts, I fund my life insurance policy to use as emergency opportunity fund, which has a floor of 4%. And because it's a mutual company, there's a dividend around 1.85% additionally to the 4% base. Now, the beauty of this is that my family is covered in the event of my passing, but I can use, while alive, the cash value accumulated that's in it. Uh, But I want to make the point that this money is separate from my investment money, which goes into another accounts. Please let me know your thoughts on the strategy. Oh, my God. I'm exhausted. (laughs) I'm sweating. (laughs) I'm 
I, I need to go back to school because <laughs> this was a very difficult email for me to read. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's try to boil it down. Huh? What are you saying? He's got a whole life policy. It's with a mutual company. He's got a good rate. And I agree that, um, you know, so he's using this, A, it sounds like he needs to cover his family. So right. he bought a whole life policy. And the whole life policy has a cash value component to it where he can draw cash out if he needs to. And he's not comparing the cash value of the life insurance policy to a investment account. It's more like a CD. And I agree with that because in the stupid CFP exam, they, they, they had that as like a... Um, this is many, many years ago right. when whole life policies were a lot more popular maybe than they are today, or maybe the the industry itself was still very heavily insurance kind of related in, in the financial planning world. Sure. Um, so, yeah. I, I, so so why, why don't you just get term insurance to cover if you pass, and then put the rest of your money in CDs so you can have access to it at any time. You get the if you're comparing the rate of return, same same. No, it's not because it's tax free with inside because he's taking loans from the overall policy. And if he and it's a mutual company, and if I'm an uh, insurance holder of a mutual company, you know the the, the the insurance policy owners are the the owners of the company, right? And so he's getting a little bit of extra juice. He's getting a little bit higher rate of return than a CD. And so if he can take loans and take that money out and need to and, and, and pay it back at, at a little bit higher rate, I don't know. It's okay. I would never do it. But, but why? Why wouldn't you do it? Because I don't need insurance. I'm a single sexy man. <laughs> I'm not married. I have no kids. What does so, the sexy part have to do with know. it? I've just seen many so, single ladies so, are out there. So, so here, here's what here's what I would do as a married man. <laughs> sexy with man. Kids. I didn't say that. She did. You didn't say it. What? <laughs> that I was sexy. I think you're very handsome. Fact, I think we had a listener that that wrote in and said you no. were sexy. How would they know? I'm on the radio. Maybe they watch the YouTube. Okay. Anyway, so here's what I would do. All right. And you you can debate this all you want. I I would do term insurance, which is what I have. And then I would have some money in CDs and the rest in a balanced portfolio. I would, I would, I would beat the, the rate of return even net of the tax-free component, and I'd have full access to my capital at any time I want it. That's what I would do. That's what I am doing. I think that's a lot simpler approach than trying to work through this contract. However, I do agree with you. Uh, structurally, this can work from the, from the, the tax-free component. But we have seen a number of these kind of plans blow up. Most. Because there's almost all there's not enough return to cover the policy payments and then then the whole thing blows up. But I think this is a fairly small policy and he's already established a, a modified anomaly contract and it's paid up. This guy's definitely in the industry because he's talking about stuff that no one really knows. Uh, but I Ricardo, do, I love it. I do know what a mech is. I don't know what a PUA is. Pua? Uh, those are like, I'm guessing they're paid up. Um, paid up uh, additional uh, insurance. Yeah, paid up additionals. Yeah. Paid up additional insurance. Okay. Yep. Okay, yep. cool. Look at that. Well, there you go. So I got educated. I'm one smart insurance person that's <laughs> I never. Got, I got our sold a Ricardo educated me. Yeah, good. Paid up additions. Yeah. I was guessing that that's what that was, but. If he's saying Pua's, Pua's, you know, Ricardo's. Like, he's out <laughs> well, there. he does say that he read the entire contract. 
So, so he might have done the, the the research necessary. Probably has Ricardo. probably has different puas in there. Nope. <laughs> if you're new to YMYW and considering various investing strategies, especially the life insurance as an investment strategy, or if you just love hearing Joe get set off and want to relive some of those exciting moments, I've posted links to all of our previous indexed universal life insurance discussions in the show notes. Click the link in the description in your podcast app and have a ball. And download our white paper, Eight Timeless Principles of Investing, which will help you to feel confident in your investment portfolio, even when markets are volatile. If you've got a money question, comment, compliment, complaint, or story, or if you too want to try to set Joe off, click the Ask Joe and Big Al banner in the show notes and send it on in. Cynthia from Silver Springs, Maryland, she kind of sent us a video, Al. She did. She goes, absolutely love your show, learning so much from it. I found this when I was researching tax efficiency in retirement. My sentiments exactly. It's a kid playing Monopoly and crying about taxes. So very funny. Did you watch it? Of course. I've watched everything that comes through my email box. Especially <laughs> yeah, right. if it's from your money or wealth. <laughs> no, I didn't watch it. Did you watch it? Was no, it good? I haven't seen it. It's it's literally a kid. He's got the Monopoly board and the money in front of him, and he's in tears. And his mom says, what's the matter? And he goes, taxes. <laughs> she goes, yeah. He goes, this, I don't like this game. I have to pay taxes. <laughs> How old was the kid? He's like seven, eight. Wow. wow. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. Learning early. Yeah, keep sending us some videos. Andy loves them. Um, and Alan and I can learn about them when we yeah, do the show. That's right. <laughs> you can play them for us while we're talking. It's probably a hell of a lot better than this program. Oh, well, that's to be. She's going to loop it into the program, so she can cut some of us out. Michael from Connecticut. He writes in, Al. He goes, good morning. I saw podcast number 209 on Your Money or Wealth. All right. So t- 209. That, apparently that that's was on. a ways back. That, that was, was like a, 40 episodes ago. Yeah, we guess we talked about SEPs, solo, 401ks, Roth conversions, et cetera. <laughs> we re- did that re- at re- 208, 207, 206, <laughs> episode 204, 203. I even have a website if you want to watch it. No, that's it's fine. It's totally fine. Um, all right, so Mike, Michael, my job wants to change my 401k from principal uh, to a company called Orinda. Is that right, Al? Yeah, Orinda. Orinda Retirement? Have you heard of them? Never. Me neither. I never heard of them. (laughs) (laughs) Neither is Michael. (laughs) Neither is Michael. I never heard of them. I wanted to ask if I should set up my own solo 401k through principal and let the job I work at set up new 401k with that new company because right now they match 3%, and I think I'm putting 15%, so I'm at least 18% for my check. Would my 401k stay a 401k, or would I have principals set me up with an IRA and let my job set up a new 401k with that new company? Will I lose any tax deduction? I saw that in the podcast. It says set up a solo 401k. Would that be IRA or still 401k with principal? Or go with someone else? Then roll SEP in. Then now SEP. He's got a SEP too, Al. Okay. Roll SEP into solo 401k. Is the simplified employee pension individual retirement agreement the new company my job is going to? 
I'm pretty sure I have over $25,000 in my principal 401k. Thank you for your help. Okay. Was that English? That I was, don't even know what the uh, word. <laughs> that was in Hawaiian. They would call that pig. <laughs> pig Latin? Pig Latin, yeah. Anyway, um, I'll, let me, I'll, I'll try this, Joe. So, <laughs> I mean, some of the fun of just trying to decipher what people are writing us here. Yeah, well, the, the first thing I will say is if you just have a job, then, and if you just? want... It's just a job as opposed to a job and a side company. So I'm going to go there in a second. Oh. Just okay. a job. Just, you only have one source of employment and one source of income. That's your job. You have to go with your employer's... 401k. You can't all of a sudden then set up your own. Yeah, he's like, you know what? I got principal 401k. They want to go with Orenda. I was like, I ain't going there. <laughs> I'm going to set up my own solo 401k with principal. Can't do that. Can't now, do that, Michael. Now, now you could. Now, if you had a side hustle, let's say you were making some money on the side. A little side, side hustle. hustle. Like, like, it's yeah, love it out. modern now, right? <laughs> what are you, 23 years teach, old? Teaching old dog new tricks. I could go, I can go boom. Look at that. I just brought that one in too. <laughs> How about that? Big Al's yeah. going boom and I, and inside us. I want to give a shout out to Michael. <laughs> I could be super young, y'all. <laughs> anyway. So if you got if you got that little side hustle where you make some money, you could set up a solo 401k for that, but not your current job. Right. Okay. So let's get that clear right off the bat. Uh, you with me? Yep. So so, so keep, well, you got to go with the new 401k, Michael. Yeah, you, that's that's your only choice. That your your job, you can't all of a sudden make a new one yourself. Right. But the only thing that's kind of weird is that he's got this. He, so he's got a SEP. No, I don't think he does. I think he heard about that in the podcast, and he's thinking that that might be what he's got. Or go somewhere else, then roll SEP into solo 401k. Is the simplified employee pension individual retirement account the new company my job is going to? No. So that's, I think he's really confused by what a SEP is. Oh, a SEP? Uh, I'll explain that. Sim- oh, so Sim- he's, he's like, He's well, asking, are they putting it into a SEP? Oh. No, no. It's, it's just a different 401k provider is all it is. Yeah. It's the same 401k, probably. Anyway, so the, 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 a SEP, Simplified Employer Pension Plan, is when you have your own business that's profitable. If you're a sole proprietor, you can put up to 20% of your bottom line profits in a SEP. The reason why we like solo 401ks over a SEP, if you don't have any employees, is you can put that 20% in for profit sharing, but you can also put the employee portion in, which is another 19000 or 25000 if you're over... 50, right? So, at any rate, that, but those both, everything you're talking about here is only when you have your own company, which it doesn't sound like you have, Michael, because you keep talking about your job. So, Michael, the only thing that you can do at this point is go with Orenda. Andy can boil it down. (laughs) Boom. (laughs) (laughs) Unless you get a side hustle. Oh, God. And then shout out to principal. Okay. Scott from Lakeside, California. Hi, my name is Scott, and I'm a widower. Oh, oh, it's too bad. <laughs> I'm, I'm looking forward to leaving my current employer and possibly start using my pension in 10 years at 64. Will I be penalized if I continue working another job or if I apply for SSI? Okay, well, Scott, I guess... I'm confused. Do you know what he's um, 
No, I'm trying to figure it out, too. So he's leaving his current employer. He wants to start using, using his, his pension in 10 years, 10 years at 64. So he's so 54 he's years 54. old. And then he's yeah. asking, will he be penalized if I continue working another job? If you leave your job and have a pension with that employer, you're going to receive that pension at age 64 based on their formula on how you qualify for the pension. Usually it's years of service, right? <clears throat> your age on when you collect it, and maybe your high three years of income. So will you be penalized? Well, if you worked for that current employer for another 10 years, potentially you could have a higher benefit because they're going to take years of service into the equation to figure out what your pension benefit's going to be. But most of these companies are freezing and getting rid of the pensions altogether. Um, yeah, I, I would agree. I think that's, to me, that's the only penalty on a, on what appears to be maybe a private pension plan Yeah, is, is the more years of service you put in, generally the higher your pension payouts are. I think he's asking about the windfall elimination provision. Because he then says, if I apply for SSI, he's asking if he applies for Social Security and he's taking a pension and he starts working at another job, is that going to affect his Social Security? Well, that's a, uh, that's another question. Okay. <laughs> Let's, we can answer that one in a couple minutes. Um, one minute, one and a half uh, well, minutes. I don't know. what We got Andy from San Diego. What's the question? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so he's talking about taking his, applying for Social Security at age 64. He wants to take his pension in 10 years at 64 as well. Will he be penalized with, for Social Security? Will it affect his Social Security if he takes his pension and works another job? At 64? Uh-huh. Yes. At 64, you have to wait till full retirement age unless he makes under 18000 bucks. Um. So yeah, it, if 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 he's looking at if he claims his pension and Social Security at age sixty four, and he and he's going to continue to work at age sixty four thereafter, that's what I think he's asking. Then yes, he would. The Social Security would be penalized because there's an income threshold on Social Security until you reach your full retirement age. And if it's a government pension, which we don't know, then yeah, there's the windfall elimination provisions that would apply whenever you start claiming Social Security, regardless. Right, of age. because if you if you have a government pension. You're not putting into Social Security, um, and so it's they offset it. Okay, so we answered three questions in that one. That's not bad. Yeah, pretty good. All right. And then he, Joe, and Al, Daniel from Michigan, 22 years old, but was wondering what you guys thought about keeping a mortgage on a house. Rick Edelman says, keep a mortgage is good for tax benefits. Dan Ramsey says, uh, pay off your house as soon as possible. I agree with both of them, Daniel. I think you're 22. You probably can't afford to pay an entire house, so I would hold that mortgage, see what interest rate you got, and then before you retire, it'd be good to be debt-free. Keep sending in your money questions, and the fellows will keep answering them. Just click the Ask Joe and Al banner in the podcast show notes. The link in your podcast app will get you there. And hey, do us a favor. Share YMYW. Post yourmoneyyourwealth.com on your Facebook page. Tweet about the podcast and tag YMYW show. Share an update about us on LinkedIn or email your favorite YMYW episode to anyone who will find it entertaining or useful. Now let's switch gears and talk about the freedom of financial independence. 
At FinCon in September, I had a chance to follow up with Tanya Hester, the inspiring early retiree the New York Times calls the matriarch of the women's fire movement. Tanya and her husband, Mark, retired at the ages of 38 and 41. She writes the award-winning blog at OurNextLife.com. She co-hosts the Fairer Sense podcast about women, money, and the fight to break even. And this year, she released the book, Work Optional, Retire Early the Non-Penny-Pinching Way. Thank you very much for joining me today. I'm thrilled to talk to you. The book came out in February. We talked in March. So tell me about what kind of feedback you've received since Work Optional was released. Oh, gosh, it's been almost overwhelming. I think that the feedback has been across a wide spectrum. You know, some folks are brand new to the concept of saving and investing and thinking about the way they're spending their money in a mindful way. So, you know, for folks who are new to those concepts, they're they're looking at that of sort of like, I, I think what a lot of us can relate to of kind of feeling like your mind has been blown by this concept. Uh, I think for others who've maybe heard about early retirement, uh, they've they've really loved the way that I approach the topic, which is to not talk about money first and instead to talk about what you want out of life, what you want your legacy to be, how you want to spend your time, what feels meaningful to you, thinking about those things and then thinking about what the money looks like that supports that. Uh, and then there have been those, which this is maybe perhaps the most surprising to me, is there have been folks who are looking at traditional retirement or who are already retired who've said that they found a lot of value out of the third part of the book, which is about making the transition into the next life chapter, whether that's early retirement, traditional retirement, or some kind of hybrid, like semi-retirement, or what I call career intermission, you know, taking like a gap year, sabbatical, uh, without setting yourself back financially. So uh, I, I love it, you know, it's been folks of all ages I've heard from, which is great, you know, people, I hear a lot of folks gifting the books to friends, family, younger folks. I've heard someone gave it to um, a book I, I signed earlier today. They were going to give to a middle schooler. I thought that was uh, pretty surprising. <laughs> but, you know, like the, the sooner we can understand the link between our money and how we spend our lives, uh, the better. Right. So, okay, now it's hindsight being twenty twenty. Would there be anything that you would change about the book? Oh, little things. You know, I think there are a few things here and there that I feel like I might explain a little bit differently now. Uh, when you know, the, the bummer about a book versus like a blog post or an article online even is you can update those. You right. can make changes. A book is done. It's out there. It's out there. And so sometimes folks will say, oh, okay, well, I didn't really like how you said this. I'm like, cool. I can't do anything about that. <laughs> but uh, big picture, no. I, I'm really pleased with the book. I'm proud of it. I think it does represent kind of my worldview, which is money is a tool, not the thing to start with. I think a lot of folks who go down the financial independence rabbit hole get really immersed in the numbers and the spreadsheets and optimizing every expense and pinching every penny. And it was important to me to put non-penny pinching right on the cover of the book uh, because I think, you know, if you get true joy out of that, if that is a thrill for you, that is the way you like to geek out, great. But I think that's not most people. Most people don't want to be thinking about their money all the time. And so I do think it represents me to think about, okay, how do you sort of put this on autopilot and let it go and focus on what actually matters in life? Now, at FinCon, you gave an amazing Big Ideas speech talking about authenticity versus authority. On that same kind of line of thinking, looking at your path to financial independence, is there anything you would have changed about how you got to where you are today? Yes, for sure. The The biggest thing that Mark and I would change is actually to slow down a little bit. We did not start from zero once we decided to set early retirement as a goal. 
that was about six years before we retired early. And we'd, we'd certainly saved some. We'd made some smart financial decisions by that point. So again, knowing that wasn't the starting line, uh, that was when we got really aggressive about saving. And, you know, in the end, if it had taken us seven years, eight years, six and a half, that wouldn't make a huge difference in, you know, our lives and our health and our happiness. But for example, like we just didn't use all our vacation time in those last six years. We worked, you know, pretty much pedal to the metal to earn as much as we could to maximize what we could get. And, you know, I think uh, looking back, I wish we had taken a few more vacations, taken a little more time off, spent more time with family. There were some things we passed on that I really regret, you know, in particular, two friends had amazing weddings in Europe. One was at a French chateau and one was in a medieval mountaintop village in Italy. And we passed on both of those because they were going to be expensive. And looking back, I'm like, those are experiences we can't ever replace. And I think when you get those once in a lifetime experiences that you know are going to make great memories, you got to do that stuff. Mm -hmm. And we were in the financial position to do them, but we made the decision not to, you know, looking down the road at the big goal. Honestly, if we'd taken both of those trips, that would have set us back like a couple months, you know, not not something massive. So I think, yeah, that is the thing we changed. We're thrilled to be early retired now, but we didn't have to get there quite so fast. Now, I want to talk about something that I've heard a lot uh, from people who, when they hear about the FIRE movement or financial independence, they say, you know what, that is for people who make a heck of a lot more money than I do. That's for people who are a heck of a lot younger than I am. How do you respond to people who have that immediate, nope, that's not for me? I mean, I think there is no point in sugarcoating the fact that it is much easier to save money when you have more money, when you earn more money. That is simply a mathematical fact. And so uh, I don't think we should be trying to hide that. I think higher earners have an easier time doing this. Although we also know that higher earners are just as likely to spend their entire paycheck as lower earners. So just earning a lot doesn't mean you're a good saver or a good investor. But of course, the more you earn, the faster you can save. I think I talk a lot in the book about how you can find different models. So this idea of it being all or nothing, for example, that you either have to work full time or you you have to be fully retired, that's just not true. And I do think if you look at something like semi-retirement, like maybe you get yourself totally secure for your traditional retirement and then you do just enough fun work or you know part-time work now to cover your day-to-day expenses, your annual expenses, that's something that's a lot more achievable for a lot more people. So I, I'd like to give other options, or maybe you could take five years off you know, and go do a lot of the things you dream of and then go back to work. There are different ways to structure our lives. On the age point, you know, my theory, actually, we don't have good data on who's retiring early, but my theory is that the average early retirement pursuer or dreamer is actually going to retire in their 50s or maybe in early 60s. I know a ton of my readers are older than you might expect, you know, given that you see media stories about people retiring in their 30s or 40s. But most people, I think, who you're seeing in media stories are like the unicorn, sure. the, the total outliers. I think the average folks doing this are retiring more like late 40s, 50s. You know, the, the average retirement age is 62 for men, 63 for women. Frankly, to me, if you can beat that by a month, you have won the game. Right. And I think even if you don't beat it, you do the average, even if it's 65 or 67 when you quit, but you feel secure, you've won the game. Mm-hmm. Because most people in retirement are living off Social Security alone. And the average check is $1,400 a month. Medicaid, Medicare expenses are still incredibly high, even with that guaranteed insurance. So the guarantee is great, but the cost is not zero. So if you have even a few hundred extra dollars a month, that can make a life-changing difference. 
And those are all things that you can put yourself in a position to do at almost any income level, whether you retire early or not. I mean, that doesn't have to be the end goal. That's why I called the book Work Optional, because it's really about can you put yourself in a position where you have some space in your life to think about your purpose and how you want to spend your time, and that it's not always about work and earning. And that's something I think you and I both understand. The concept of life is short, tomorrow is never promised to us, and to know that it's not just one way or another. You have to work 80 hours a week or be retired and on the beach is, it's a big deal. So thank you for helping people to be aware of that. Yeah, I mean, obviously that's hugely important to me with some of the genetic issues in my family. Also, you know, this is a really sad story, but I heard just a couple of days ago while here at FinCon about a blog couple who has been not blogging very often uh, lately, uh, the Pi blog, Plan, Invest, Escape, Mr. and Mrs. Pi. She just shared on Twitter that about a year after early retiring, they discovered that Mr. Pi has a terminal brain tumor and it's very aggressive. It's going to take his life. They're trying to slow it down. I mean, it, like my heart is just breaking for them. But at the same time, I, I'm so glad that they did have that year you know, that even if it was only a year, you know, they'd planned on decades, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. But having some time without having to go to work every day and have that, those special memories they made as a family during that, that's so valuable. You can't buy that. I mean, you can, you can it turns out, uh, but <laughs> you can't uh, replace it. You know, if you miss that opportunity, it's gone forever. And so I think whatever it looks like to you to find quality space in your life, to spend with the ones you love, to do the things you're passionate about, I mean, it's just, it's the best gift there is. And this kind of gets a little bit to the part that a lot of people don't want to think about. But have you planned for worst case scenario? Have you talked about what happens if the thing that nobody wants to have happen happens? Uh, oh, absolutely. I think it's essential to think about that stuff and, and to build it into your financial plan because there is nothing cheap about aging, about getting sick. And that stuff is going to happen to all of us. You're either going to die at a tragic young age or you're going to get old. And either, either way, you need to be prepared. Uh, it's very morbid to put it that way. I mean, I'm really fortunate that my genetic issues should not shorten my life. And they should not, you know, rack up tremendous healthcare bills. But so many other things can still happen. People have heart attacks. People get cancer. People get in car accidents. I mean, like, who knows? Any of those things could happen in addition to the genetic stuff. But in my case... It's a progressive disease that I have that affects my connective tissue and joints in particular, but a lot of things in my body. So it's more for me about maximizing my time while I'm as young as possible and not assuming that the things that a lot of other people do in their 60s and 70s, you know, my, my in-laws go on these like fabulous cruises in Europe and they were just in Alaska and it's great. And I'm thinking, I'm so glad for them, but I don't know if I'll be able to do that. And so I can't put it off. You know, and, and that's always been my driving motivation of how do I get as much quality time while I'm still as able-bodied as possible. So to that end, what is next for you? So I'm actually really trying hard to be retired, um, <laughs> which it turns out I'm not naturally good at. Uh, I'm, I'm just a do things kind of person. I think we're all wired differently. But like for me, I just I see something I'm, I find interesting and I do it. Uh, but I had the book come out and we're doing some travel and I have events. I do uh, some retreats for women who are interested in financial independence since women often feel left out of a lot of those conversations. Those are called sense positive, C-E-N-T-S positive. Uh, but otherwise it's just, yeah, like I'm blogging at a very slow pace at Our Next Life, uh, doing another podcast season in the winter, just trying to actually relax. <laughs> is there any financial advice that is very common, we hear all the time, but is not right for women? 
I mean, I just, I think there's like this persistent divide where women are making the bulk of household purchasing decisions. Women are spending most of the money for families, for themselves. And yet, if you are a woman and you, for example, try to open life insurance, uh, most of the time they'll say, well, great, well, I want to talk to your husband, or why don't you talk to your husband and then get back to me? Uh, or, you know, in some of even our cases where I'm a blog, you know, a blogger and author in personal finance, and, you know, the mortgage officer will say like, oh, well, can I, you know, speak to your husband? No, you're going to talk to me. <laughs> this is it. But I, I think there's this idea that men handle the high finance, the investments, the mortgages, right. and women handle the small finance. And a lot of advice directed at women is, is focused on that, saving money on groceries, yeah. getting shopping deals, right. things like that. And it's just that there isn't a lot of the advice of here's why you need to be investing and how you do it and why you shouldn't be afraid of it. Uh, it those are things that I think men are taught a lot earlier. So it's, it's not so much that there's like some piece of advice that's wrong. It's that the advice is like missing in the first place. And we need to be treating everyone the same, like women need to be investing, in fact, more than men do probably because we live longer on average. Women are more likely to be younger than their partners and outlive them. And then women are much more likely to be in poverty and retirement. I mean, you need those savings and investments to last. And the only way that happens is if you invest them so that they can grow faster than inflation. So yeah, invest women, you got this. <laughs> We are speaking with Tanya Hester from Our Next Life and Work Optional and The Fairer Sense. Um, where should we send people? Which website would you like them to go to? <laughs> Our Next Life is a great place to start. From there, you can get to everything else. You can find me on social. I love doing Twitter and Instagram in particular. So I'd, I'd love to interact with folks. Let me know. Love to hear from you. In the podcast show notes at yourmoneyyourwealth.com, you'll find the link to all of Tanya Hester's projects. Our discussion from earlier this year about the release of her book, Work Optional, Retire Early the Non-Penny-Pinching Way, as well as all of the free financial resources mentioned in this episode. While you're there, hit the Ask Joe and Al on-air banner and send in your money questions or comments. Click the link in the description of today's episode in your podcast app, and you will go right to the show notes. Your Money, Your Wealth is presented by Pure Financial Advisors. Click the free assessment button at yourmoneyyourwealth.com to sign up for a totally free two-meeting assessment, either in person or via web meeting with a certified financial planner from Pure. Pure Financial Advisors is a registered investment advisor. This show does not intend to provide personalized investment advice through this broadcast and does not represent that the securities or services discussed are suitable for any investor. Investors are advised not to rely on any information contained in the broadcast in the process of making a full and informed investment decision.